0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today
1: with Byte.
0: I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Hello, friends. Welcome back. I've got a great guest today, my friend Amy Gittleman. You know, I always have a fond affection for alumni of my school, Binghamton University, or as the old people like me used to remember it, SUNY Binghamton. We're all born of our condition. Amy's sister, shit happened. Ovarian cancer, stage 2B, thank God she's okay. But you're drafted in. As a family member, the club no one wants to belong to. But Amy's also a media nerd like me. She's from agency. And among the many things we talk about, obviously, emotions and caregiving and whatnot, there's a lot to discuss around who the hell makes these advertisements. <laughs> Why does pharma marketing suck so much? Patient acquisition seems so inhumane. Compliance is the blue balls of healthcare. All this and more on today's fabulous and exciting throwback retro Binghamton, New York episode of Adaptations. Enjoy. Patience. Enjoy. That game heads down, thumbs up. I do not. That was a different New York. That's a that was a public school game. Was it? Everyone in the class had to literally put their heads down on their desk and put their thumb up on the side of their head. And one student got to walk around the classroom and push someone's thumb down and then sit back down. And the kid whose thumb was pushed down has to guess which student pushed their thumb down.
1: Wow. They did not have that at PS220 in Forest Hills.
0: You were missing out in that Queens area there.
1: Adjacent to the LIA. I grew up on the Long Island Expressway that intersects with the Grand Central Parkway.
0: I never thought there'd be an advantage to going to school on Staten Island, but I just found it. <laughs> Heads down, thumbs up.
1: I, I was a mean kickball player, though. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. And well, I'm very competitive.
0: Did, is, has that aged well, kickball? Because dodgeball's gone now.
1: As it should be, because it's frightening. Um, kickball, I really don't know. I mean, I don't feel like my kid played it, but if there was a kickball league and if there's anyone listening to this that wants to tell me, I would join it. Kickball.
0: Wow, she brought back like memories of Jew camp in the 80s for me.
1: <laughs> we didn't play it at camp. <laughs> All
0: right, so you have to tell me why is your Gittleman, it's E L instead of L E? Who who we blame for that?
1: I'm assuming my father's father. Interestingly, the only Gittlemans in the Queen's phone book and yes, kids, there was a phone book way back when. A what, I'm sorry? A phone book where you would look people's names up and find their telephone number and address. Let's think about privacy for a moment. (laughs) Analog. Um, There were three Gittlemans, or two really, in Queens, my father and his brother who lived in Flushing, adjacent to the Van Wick. So there's a little theme there in terms of the living on a highway. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you looked, first of all, there were no other Gittlemans, but of the Gittlemans, if you looked, Anywhere, E-L was unusual, and everybody spelled my name wrong my entire life and does to this day. Like I got – someone emailed me the other day and said, oh, I got, your email bounced back. And I said, well, did you spell it E-L or L-E? And she said i I'm like, right, because that's not what it is.
0: Well, the thing is like Gittle sounds like little. So they're going to spell it like they would spell the word little.
1: Do you want me to tell you what people called me if it's a little R-rated? Little Gittle? No. Brittle Gittle? No. Go ahead. Tittle. Tittle-gittle? Tittleman.
0: Tittleman. Was it because of the obvious reasons or was it because of the lack of obvious reasons?
1: The obvious. I I was one of those early bloomers who started wearing a bra in fourth grade. So
0: even more love for your parents who just even had the name in the beginning.
1: (laughs) It also means cap maker because when I went to Israel in 93 or four, I went to Yad Vashem and they had some thing that you could like look up the last name and what it meant. Right. And I was like, of course we were cat makers. We were like (laughs) shtetl people, you know, there was no like the financiers. We were no Rothschilds, you know.
0: So I've done God knows how many of these shows and they're all fantastic. But every now and then I get a Binghamton alumni. Mm -hmm. And that is, and if you'll agree with me, like the absolute tie that binds.
1: I think so. And I will say that other than my best friend from high school, My best friends by far are my friends from Binghamton, and most of them are male, actually. Really? Yes. I have a lot of male friends.
0: Congratulations.
1: Yeah. Well, you know.
0: I'm one of them, aren't I?
1: Yeah, exactly. You too. And also, I have a friend who's a dentist out on Staten Island, and we met out in the Hamptons one summer. And he's older than me, but he went to Binghamton as well ah. so like there is like we're out thing. there
0: there's a bit of a like a, a diaspora of us mostly who graduated in the 80s and 90s I was 96 what year were you
1: 89
0: yeah so I mean it's the same time I think we talked when we we talked the last time like was it still SUNY Binghamton when you went there or was it already the bougie Binghamton University
1: oh it was SUNY Binghamton and I still have my SUNY Binghamton sweatshirt from freshman year because then if you remember the Benetton and those types of things. Benetton. And the oversized, like, champion Zeke sweatshirts. <laughs> right. Zee Yes. Ugh, I just vomited a little. Um. Uh-oh, Sergio. <laughs> right. Exactly, exactly. But I still have the sweatshirt. And yeah. it still fits, of course, because it was, like, gigantic. The small was, like, you and I could have worn it together. Yeah. And I still have it. And the SUNY Binghamton is still there. It hasn't washed off. I don't really wear it that often. But I will tell everyone, my son was accepted to Binghamton and now it's Binghamton University. Right. And it's also like a thousand times harder to get into. As great as it was when we went, right. it was always the number one Yeah, because they have
0: standards now.
1: <laughs> and they've renovated it.
0: Yeah, it's gorgeous.
1: Like I went with him and just a little side story. We went November of 21, I guess, because I'm neurotic and we started the whole college thing early because right. it was just too overwhelming to like fit it all into like senior year. And we went up to Binghamton and Cornell and we went to Cornell first And then Binghamton. And
0: as one does, by the way. Right. It's always Cornell and Binghamton. Of course. But we
1: stayed in Binghamton both nights. Mm -hmm. And we didn't really go onto the campus until Sunday. And first of all, I was like, I mean, if there were palm trees in upstate New York, which there aren't, the entrance is so nice now, like the yeah. way you drive up. I mean, no, they it, cleaned it up. Really it used well. to just be like a road divider, yeah. you know, <laughs> like there was nothing there. <laughs> and it looked like a penitentiary.
0: Yeah, it was like the entrance to a, was like a cemetery.
1: <laughs> That's right. And I'm also a very like it's not apparent if you just hang out with me, you right. know, but like I'm a very sentimental person. Right. And as we got onto, and my son always like makes fun of me because I cry. Like even like if it's the Olympics and P&G does like one of those like mom commercials about how they, you know, like I will cry during that commercial or Mm -hmm. even if it's like a touching McDonald's commercial. And he knew like in the back of his head, you know, and we get, we get, and I always have my sunglasses on and it was also so cold and it was like literally November 14th and it was Mm -hmm. like 40 below zero.
0: That's Binghamton.
1: Exactly. I'm surprised it didn't snow. And we go onto the campus and I simultaneously felt like I had just graduated and it was a thousand years ago. And I burst into tears because I was just like, now I'm here with my kid. Yeah. Like crazy town. And he's like, are you crying? It's like, of course I'm crying. Like, I mean, you've been to 50,000 movies with <laughs> me. I cried. <laughs> I
0: mean, I'm five years away from that as of this Get recording. Ready. And as much as I would love for them to go to Binghamton, they may not. But I I wait for the day that I show up there with them and I'm like oh wasn't I just here,
1: right? Also, I was disgusted by the fact that Newing now looks like brand new condos, and probably I think has a heated garage or something. And for the listener, and for
0: the listener, Newing was the um, the burning dumpster fire of Bronx in nineteen sixties of Binghamton University, <laughs> and now it's basically Williamsburg.
1: True. Right. And then I will tell you, when I went there in 85 to 89, minus a semester abroad, my bed and desk were the same bed and desk that was there when Newing was built. And then I went back one time when my child was around one year old. Right, I had never gone back after I graduated, but I was visiting cousins up in Rochester. And I said, I have to just go to Binghamton. I couldn't get in the dorm, but of course I weaseled my way in because I'm me. and. I went into my dorm room in Delaware,
0: mm-hmm.
1: of Delaware of Newing.
0: Delaware dorm. Not Delaware the, dorm, not that's Not the right. state of Delaware. That's
1: correct. And it was the same desk and bed from when I was there in 89, and this was 2005. And that, I al- and it already had been there when I got there, right. so I can't even fathom.
0: All the stories that desk has, do not put black light on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll wrap up our Binghamton story by telling you <laughs> that I went. I went to the campus uh, uh, a while ago, and— this was almost. I think this was like pre-social media, but I was telling people like I'm giving a concert at SUNY Binghamton, and then I got up there and like they're like, "You can't call it SUNY Binghamton." Yes, I can. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> so I've been in this heated debate with them on Twitter for a while because I I just hashtag SUNY B, and I'm the only one that does that to annoy the Twitter people, <laughs> Binghamton. <laughs> That's hilarious. But, you know, we, we went there. It's, it's something we can own. And that was the days when they had, again, where we lost all the listeners. Maybe there's like three Binghamton so. alumni. That, back then the mascot was the Colonial. It, and then it became something they called a bear cat, which I think is a real animal, but no one knew that. When they made it the Bearcats. So what the hell's a Bearcat was like? There were no hashtags in the night, But what the hell is a Bearcat? Pretty much ever, everyone was saying that.
1: There was a hashtag. It was on the telephone. The landline that yes. people might not remember. Do you remember your... After your, the rotary.
0: Wait, do you remember your um, your your phone number?
1: From childhood or Binghamton? No, for
0: 777 what?
1: I have no idea. But I was, remember my childhood.
0: No, mine Tell was him. K-U-T-E.
1: Okay, that's was That was my,
0: my, my dorm room phone number was 777 607 777 K U T E it's the 8675309 of Binghamton call <laughs> that number see who's there right now and tell them Matt sent you
1: no one cuz no one has a landline
0: i know that's hysterical
1: but my number growing up we had two. First, i think it was 212 i had a 718 2715263 was it like the Apartment, because I grew up in an Wait, apartment. Everyone, please write
0: that down. <laughs> and all that number right now. We're going to get sued by the FCC, and it's fantastic.
1: No, believe me, my mother moved to Florida in 2014, oh, fantastic. so that number isn't there anymore. Right, but my when I was in fourth grade, my mother, even though we really couldn't afford it, I was always on the phone. Which interesting that I ended up in a sales role. And my number was two one two two seven one seven two nine zero. So those I remember, and I remember the. Cab- I'm gonna put all
0: these numbers in the episode <laughs> description so you can call it anytime you want.
1: Please God, but I also remember the numbers of the cabs in Queens and oh, Forest that's Hills, like when yeah. we because we there was no Uber, there was no
0: right. You know, you had to call a cab. That was back when the cab companies used like seven letters A to be at the start of the yellow pages.
1: Right. Well, like one was quadruple always ready. A,
0: quadruple A Taxi Company, Quintuple <laughs> A Taxi
1: Company. We had always ready and I can't remember the other one. But it was like 7182222222 or something. Right. Absurd.
0: Selena and
1: Barnes. <laughs> <laughs> right. No longer together because one know. of them died.
0: Yeah. I heard about that.
1: Sounds suspicious, but Rip I'm not going to. Selena? Go there.
0: We I don't know which one. Barnes? I couldn't even tell you. I think that this. I know. We're we're rambling about New York City culture stuff. (laughs) I want to get to the junk here, which is that I love that you were in sales before there was the internet. And there's very few people around like us who remember what it was like to hustle without a phone. And we had fax machines. And did you have like a BlackBerry with the stupid chiclets? And texting took you nine hours to write a word.
1: Well, yes, I had a BlackBerry, but... I mean, I graduated college in 1989. So my first job, which was terrible and I can't even talk about it because I'm embarrassed about it. I was an English major, really a lit major with a double minor in Jewish history and cinema at Binghamton. That's a
0: recipe for a career success.
1: Correct, correct. But, you know, it's just Amy taking things that she knew she would excel at. So good GPA at the end of the day, which is a miracle in and of itself. But considering all the shenanigans we got up to. But when I graduated... You had what was called a tickler file.
0: Oh, yeah? Was that like an acronym or something? No. Okay.
1: It was index cards that you kept in a box the size of index cards. And you had literally one for like every day of the month, let's say. And you would turn it over at the beginning of each month. Mm -hmm. But like if you called Joe Smith on – February 28th and you wanted to call him April 15th, you would put it like in April Ah, because there was no digital way to keep track of how you would call someone. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember if that job had a rotary on my desk or a A push button button phone. But I'll tell you if it was a rotary, which I don't remember, I probably wasted a lot of time like (laughs) dialing and dialing. Hey Kyle, try to see if you can
0: find the rotary dial phone and insert that in here. (laughs) That'd be funny.
1: <laughs> I once showed one to my kid on a. I was taken to school on the bus in the city, and he couldn't fathom. I was trying to explain a rotary phone to him, and he just was flabbergasted. Yeah. like what are you talking about? Right. So I, of course, Google it on my phone. Like you show him an iPhone, and I show you Google it to him. a
0: rotary phone in your iPhone.
1: That's correct, and he says, "Mom," and he must have been like six years old. So what happened if you made a mistake? Did you have to go back to the beginning? And I was mm-hmm. like, yes, you did. You had to go back to the yep. beginning and dial. I said, but when I was growing up, you didn't need the area code, but then you did because too many people, like, there and were And the many long people. distance
0: costs you $9 a minute. <laughs> right, right. My daughter asked me a question. How did you take pictures without phones?
1: So she doesn't know what a camera is. I, I Yes,
0: she does. But I guess instinctively didn't occur to her that there could be... A separate camera, not attached to a telephone or a cell phone or whatever it is. But I think this is the gorgeous, fantastic Gen X culture nostalgia bin that we can live in, absorb, own, and if you don't get it, change the channel. (laughs) Right, right. So again, I I was working in advertising in the early 2000s, again, Palm Treos and AOL floppy disks and CD-ROMs. It was an innocent time because it seemed easier to get to the people that needed to know there was a new Diet Pepsi flavor or whatever, and I was diagnosed in the 90s, and there was nothing. There was no Google. There was, like, list serves. Google that if you have no idea what I'm talking about, and today, there's too much shit but you and I have been working in a version of sales for a very long time. My question to you is that once you got into like healthcare sales or patient sales, or this is a market that aren't consumers. Of course, they're not hoping to learn this information. They're not aware, rightfully so, that they can become part of something else and help this and help that customer feedback means something very different to someone with ovarian cancer than someone wanting to buy the new Flamin' Hot Cheetos.
1: When did that transition happen to you in your career? To healthcare? Yeah. It really was happenstance that I ended up in kind of pharma ad sales. I had been in digital media since 2000. I was in another career for many, many years. And it was the writing was on the wall because it was like printing and displays. Like if you went into Bloomingdale's, I used to sell like those big displays for Estee Lauder and things like that. Oh,
0: remember those? Those are great.
1: Yeah. And they still have them, you know, like backlit photographs or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, even towards the end doing kind of wraps of trucks and stuff like that with vinyl. But once those things become inexpensive and you could buy the technology yourself and do it yourself, you don't then need a vendor really to do that. So I ended up in digital media and I was always pretty generalized. I wasn't verticalized, but I was looking for a role at a specific point. And um, someone in the industry who was at McCann connected me with WeGo Health, which is now part of Health Union. And that was very social media driven and utilized patient influencers to educate people on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with what WeGo Health called really non-branded, meaning a patient would talk about their condition, and then you, if you clicked on it, it would take you to that educational information, whether it was branded or unbranded. Now I'm at Populous Media, and we're living in the telehealth space, because if you think about if you've ever been on a telehealth call, and interestingly, any telehealth call I've been on, and I've probably been on at least 10 you're staring at a blank screen that entire time. Mm -hmm. But if you're a patient and you're there for a specific condition or a specific reason or symptom, why not educate the patient in that moment while they're waiting for the physician? So that is kind of like the genesis of populist media. And-
0: This is like the ad buy before the YouTube channel starts or whatever.
1: I guess. I mean, it's really before the doctor comes on. So if you think about TV, you're like watching commercials. We know that if it's, it's either insurance, auto- fast food, you know, QSR or pharma commercials. Those right. are like the bulk of the commercials. Side
0: effects may include dying.
1: Exactly. And from the mouths of babes, when my son was very little, again, probably around that rotary phone time, he and I were home. My husband was on a business trip and there was a pharma commercial. And the end was, of course, like the ISI and everything that could happen to you. Like, Wait, wait,
0: acronym alert, ISI?
1: So the important safety information that tells you that You might have diarrhea, or your head is going to explode, or it may cause cancer, or whatever. You know, (laughs) your leg's going to fall off. You're going to be deaf and blind. You know, whatever it is, my son is like, why would anyone take that? Even if they had the disease, it sounds worse than the disease. Yeah, and that's an interesting aspect. But the other aspect is when you're watching TV and you see a commercial, unless you have that condition, you're not necessarily paying attention. And even if you do, you don't have a doctor's appointment that week necessarily. Right. But within telehealth.
0: Fun, you're there.
1: You're right there. It's that last moment in time before you speak to a doctor. And we know that condition or symptoms that you have fully de-identified and HIPAA compliant. We are not, I work for a company that's not a healthcare company, but we deliver advertising on behalf of telehealth companies that are condition specific. And as such, very educational. If you have psoriatic arthritis and you're about to talk to a doctor about Wait, psoriatic you arthritis. You moderate to severe. Right, moderate to severe. <laughs> Who says that? <laughs> no one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Or, God forbid, anything else, breast cancer, you know, anything. You know, think of all the conditions that come up every day or even the great drugs that have multiple indications like a Humira or even right. Cosentyx has 3 mm-hmm. or 4 or 5 By indications. By the way, none of
0: these companies gave me any money to say this <laughs> and they really should have. Right. Go on.
1: I'm utilizing examples from real life. If you're a layperson or you know even a person with that condition or god forbid have something where you might need Keytruda, you don't know what those 19 indications are. You're never going to know. And they've been relatively smart of late where their commercials now are talking about how many indications they cover. But you still have to really think about, like, is this what I have or whatever? But if you're about to speak to the doctor, for example, migraine, and you see an ad for Ubrelvi or Nurtec, Who what, names
0: these things?
1: That I can't answer. Okay. But I'm sure a very smart group of people at each company. In fact, today there was a story, I think it was in Fierce Pharma, that a new drug is coming out. And I think it's just three I's, like the letter I, 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 I. I, I don't even know how you would say that. Exactly. I could be wrong. Maybe I misread it either way. But you are in a moment where you're completely engaged. And then you might remember that you saw that commercial, you saw Mm -hmm. that ad in whatever magazine still exists, or on your when you were looking at people.com or whatever the case may be. And it's like that perfect moment in time, which in my 23 year career in digital really is kind of like that brass ring. And it makes me happy to think that we can help patients in some way.
0: All right, let's take a quick break. We get back, we're going to talk about your sister, sure, who entered the shit happens store, and trust and empathy in helping people have a less crappy experience. We'll be right back with this message from tripled income. We'll make you smile. Remember that <laughs> <laughs> from, from Inside Out. All right, we'll be right back. <laughs> So we're all born of our condition, right? You're plugging away, doing your job, hopefully helping lots of people, and then, bam, it's in the family. Let's talk about that.
1: So my family actually has a horrific history with cancer.
0: Oh, wait, right. We're Jews. That's right.
1: That's right. We're Ashkenazi Jews. There's lots of cancer. So... This is probably for a separate podcast or maybe just a night over drinks because it's a kind of funny story. But my grandfather on my mom's side had four sisters who never married and lived together until they died.
0: Is that like a brother's grim fairy tale waiting to be told?
1: Not really, but my cousin and my sister and I and my son actually keep saying we're going to write a Broadway show about it. But, you know, time is just difficult to find. So they had cancer. Um, Multiple cousins of my mom on her father's side, mostly no one on her mother side do I remember having cancer. My father's first cousins who were women all died of some kind of female oriented breast cancer or, or ovarian cancer, whatever. A very close first cousin of my mother's died of breast cancer when I was pregnant with my son. And then her daughter was diagnosed with that when I would say three or four years ago during COVID. A cousin of mine was diagnosed right before COVID with bile duct cancer. And then, the trifecta. My sister was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in December of 21. And my father died of cancer as well in 1996.
0: So you're just a f- gorgeous ticking time bomb, aren't you?
1: I hope not, but I'm not going to lie about my unbearable neuroses about it.
0: Well, that that's congenital Judaism <laughs> right. on top of the other things that are giving you neurotic.
1: Right. Know, it's everything else plus that.
0: Right. But your sister was diagnosed early, I understand, right?
1: Well, she was diagnosed with stage 2B in December of 21. The challenges that she had been for years, so it's a miracle that she was complaining about pain and she was post-surgery diagnosed with endometriosis, which no one ever told her. Her regular gyno who thankfully she finally went for a second opinion, said it was just polyps or, you know, whatever it was. And they were going to do a DNC and pull out the polyps. But when she went for the second opinion, they sent her for an MRI right away. And it turned out she had a 15 centimeter ovarian tumor. That was the B in stage two B is that it's attached to other things. Right. So Fabulous. It was very, right. It was amazing, but it was so scary. And I'm very close with the other two cousins as well. So, you know, obviously your sister is your sister, I will say that she's one of the brave, they all three, so brave. I think they handled it, God forbid, you know, like much better than I ever would.
0: What does brave mean? I think... Like, did they have any other choice? What, like,
1: I guess you don't. And I guess maybe that's the truth when you have it. If you if you don't have a positive outcome, outlook, I think that affects your outcome. Right. Of course. I mean, that's just true in life. But I, I, I just remember after my sister had the surgery, I guess she had it on a Friday and then... It was still kind of covid in January of 22. <laughs> COVID-y. <laughs> For lack of better, I'm making up words now. So she had the surgery Friday. Her husband was with her that whole day. And he said, why don't you go on Saturday? Because they only were allowing one person at a time. Right. And he would go on Sunday. And I lived near the hospital. She had it in the city, even though she lives in Queens. It was at a uh, New York Cornell no while, And I went in there and the whole time, I just kept saying to myself, just keep it together. Just keep it together. Just yeah, keep it together. Because sure. I didn't want to like cry in front of her because she's just laying there like, Yay, they got it all out. I don't have cancer anymore. And I'm just like, okay. Yeah. Right, <laughs> like right, I right. don't even know what to say to that.
0: Did did all of this I mean, again, you didn't ask for this, no one wants this. Did it inform you in any way about your work and the kinds of messages people are receiving? Let's say, even if it is an, an ad or a message before a telehealth visit. I'm always been, you know uh, a huge disappointing cynic in that patient marketing, pharma marketing, health – they're all sanitized bullshit and nothing speaks empathy and we're sorry you're here and we know you're angry except some of the nonprofits. But they're never your like uh, greeter at the door. Where like I'm sorry you're here. It's a great party inside, but you know we're all together. Like it's you need to know this and this and this and this because the lawyer said I have to tell you this and this and this and this. Was that something that like maybe there was a gestalt moment for you that if if I were my sister would I really want to hear this?
1: I think so. I I do wish that agencies and brands themselves would be less sanitized. You know, I don't think you have to like throw things in people's face because you're reaching out to, you know, especially on television or even CTV at this point, or connected TV for those who don't like acronyms. Um, (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Thank you. You know, do I need to see a woman who has metastasized breast cancer like strolling on the beach with her grandchild or doing yoga. I mean, I don't think that's realistic. Right. I I just don't. And maybe it is and I'm wrong, but I don't think that's true. I watched my three cousins go. I watched my father go through it. It was a very long time ago. No beaches. Right. There was very little beach going on. And I just think, or yoga or any of those things. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, like the neuropathy or, you know, all the side effects. yoga
0: in the sun. Right. There we go.
1: Exactly. That's prescriptive. Exactly. So I think that there could be, Maybe some form of advertising renaissance where brands and agencies on that represent these brands think more along the lines of what should be communicated other than making sure they understand the side effects. Right. Which seems to be the most important part of the commercial. Right. Or branding. ISI. Right, exactly. Like
0: don't – maybe you – like the ISI is always, always at the end, right? Yes, like, Here's people – so there's a TV commercial for lowering your A1C at a barbecue, which is like the worst tone-deaf crap you could <laughs> right. possibly imagine. Eat ribs. Yeah, eat ribs. Side effects may include dying of ribs.
1: Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's French not fries.
0: Let's just uh, – it really goes back to the side of who the ad was in, like that whole shtick did in the, in the 90s. Why is this still a thing? I love the idea of, an, of a renaissance, but who's in charge of that?
1: Well, I think the marketing teams at the pharma companies and I think their agencies, I think they think about, you know, how can we present this in the best way to get people to ask their doctor? And I think, you know, I think, you know, I don't want to mention a particular brand, but there's a brand that has like a really, there's two brands I can think of actually, but I'm not going to name them, that have kind of like uppity songs or they use songs from the 70s or they make it sound country. And it's all about like how happy I am that I have type 2 diabetes, you know, Let alone the fact that with diabetes now we have this issue where people on a quest to be thin, meaning actresses or actors or very wealthy people, are utilizing a drug off-label that now people with type 2 diabetes actually can't even get their medication, which is absurd. By the
0: way, the side effects of taking that medication off-label is thyroid cancer.
1: Right. That's just one. Not to mention there are people, you know, if you read more of like the cultural things like New York Magazine or something like that or even the New York Times, they're saying that if you go off the drug because you've, let's say, gotten to your goal weight for your, you know, the Oscars or whatever, (laughs) the (laughs) awards, you could squeeze into that, you know, size zero, you know, Vera Wang dress, that your face falls. Right. You know, as as though you kind of like early aged and that people are having to have injections of like fillers or actual facelifts to mitigate the fat loss in your face. Right,
0: because you're supposed to wean off it, but because it's not physicians, you know, uh, supervised, no one knows to do this.
1: Not to mention the doctors who are prescribing it off-label.
0: Yeah, and that's that's not okay. That's cash grab bullshit.
1: Not okay at all. It's it's scary. And I, I think all of my family, you know, my two cousins and my sister in particular, because they're still here, thank God, you know, I think about doctor discussion guides being a more important Aspect of advertising or. But who writes them?
0: So so let's, we can, we can round out the rest of the show talking about why aren't patients involved in this shit in the first place? If you're making an ad, that's going to talk to your sister. Shouldn't someone like your sister be the person that they see in that ad? And why isn't that a thing? And I guess that complicates that you, not everyone can see them in an ad, but. I don't understand who decides that if you're running an ad for a sickle cell, why do I need to see it? And why isn't this in the right markets? And why is a white person on an ad for this? And why is a woman on the ad for this? And it's very tone deaf in an age where we're so much more aware of not just gender, but cultural relevance.
1: I don't know the answer to that, but it is an interesting question. When I was at WeGo Health. One of the things that we did in addition to this social media patient influencer aspect was, I guess, you know, having groups of people that brands would ask questions to to inform their media or creative moving forward. And one of the brands I worked with was for a condition that disproportionately impacts Mm African-Americans. And we learned as did the brand, and I'm sure they must have known this, I can't imagine they didn't know this prior to these group studies or focus groups, that everyone in the ads were Caucasian. Mm -hmm. And in terms of any of the um, studies on people, like human beings, they didn't include African Americans in the trials. Yep. Yep yet it disproportionately impacts African-Americans. And that is just- Oops. Right, exactly. I mean, to me, that's just almost disgraceful. Yes. And you have to know this without having the focus group. I, I can't imagine you didn't realize this just from even the scripts and to whom the scripts were written.
0: And why is that agency still a client of this pharma company and they weren't fired and smacked around?
1: I don't know the answer to that. You know, I'm sure they do th- you know great things as well. But I do think there is just a tone deafness in advertising in general. Yeah. You know, now unless everyone's so afraid. it's afraid.
0: Um, unless it's uh spicy Cheetos or <laughs> right. whatever it is. <laughs>
1: right. I don't even the, the Cheeto fire. I don't even know what they're called. Flame and hot. Flame and hot. The flame and hot.
0: There's there's a desire, there's a market, you know. So, and by the way, I, I'm not gonna get into details, but if if you want to Google the origin story of flame and hot Cheetos, it's like this one guy who accidentally brought it to market. And it became a phenomenon, and then they bought it out from him, and he's he's he has no debt on his Mastercard, so to speak. It's a great American story, Flamin' Hot Cheetos' origin story. Sorry, you're welcome, friends. Let's get back to the show.
1: I just have to question it though. I've I have I don't I didn't like I don't know what the difference is. There's the soft, mushy ones that are orange, and there's the hard ones. So oh, one that's, is Cheetos. No, that's and, cheese doodles. Oh, so I loved cheese doodles, and I loved that it left that. Yeah, it's just disgusting, the crunchy one and the puffy one, cancerous and cancerous orange yeah, residue yeah, yeah, yeah. On
0: your hands. If it wasn't cancerous, it wouldn't be tasty.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that too. I mean, if you think about CPG or like food, and all of these like taste makers, meaning physical taste, where they right. like put all of these things in something to make it taste a certain way which all of which are artificial, right? I don't even, I used to love Cheetos. I'm not going to lie, but I never liked the other one.
0: You were Cheetos, not cheese doodles.
1: No, I like cheese doodles, not Cheetos.
0: Okay. Okay. I
1: was a cheese doodle girl.
0: I will not tell Frito-Lay. They don't, I don't think they'll listen to the show.
1: Well, even if they don't, I will say that as a child, I loved Fritos and I ate Fritos every day. My mother made a part of my lunchbox.
0: Fritos and munchos are like the forgotten art of bad food snacking. Fritos are delicious. All right, this episode not brought to you by Munchos <laughs> or Fritos, but I'm endorsing them for no other reason.
1: Why don't yeah. they give them out on airplanes? I was just on an airplane. They're like, we have um, cheddar sun chips.
0: No, I want Fritos and Munchos. I'm like, I don't want that. Yeah, go to com slash Munchos for 25% off your order.
1: And by the way, nobody wanted it because nobody took the, no. the sun chip. No offense. I do like regular sun chip, but... But, but
0: this speaks to the the antithetical nature of, you know, if you are in the corporate consumer marketing, this is these are things people want or didn't know they needed. I didn't know there's a new Oreo cakester flavor that's whatever. You know, they know how to make you feel bad that you didn't know that you're only eating the the chocolate cakesters and not the vanilla cakesters. This is healthcare. And I think there's a lot of presumptiveness and hubris in thinking we know what your sister needs to hear and see in advance of this, she's terrified. And it's. I'm going on a bit of a soapbox here, and this is not new. I've been doing this for a long time now. This blatant, I mean, if they're tone deaf not knowing that a drug that affects black communities shouldn't have like white people in an ad for it. That's egregious and ridiculous, but it does speak to the larger narrative of there is no traditional demography, psychography, consumer brand thinking in healthcare marketing.
1: Well, that's what drew me to my current role because despite whatever the message is and that I can't necessarily control in this moment in time, at least you're reaching someone in their moment in time when they need to hear it versus I've seen, I don't even know, 80 million progressive commercials and God love Flo because she went to Binghamton. Binghamton, yes, she went to Binghamton. (laughs) So God love her but i'm not switching my insurance. Right. I haven't switched it. I've i've had the same renters and then owner insurance since 1990.
0: Yeah. Stop marketing to me, <laughs> right. please.
1: Exactly. So i think those personalized ways in which you could reach someone is much smarter and as we as the company i work for grows, i think that people are embracing that personalized ability, you know, to message someone. Mhm. With their symptoms or with their condition, because we know what that is, even though it's HIPAA compliant, HIPAA meaning we don't use your personal information and de-identified, meaning we don't know who you are. We just know that you have this issue or condition and we're going to address it with a message relevant to you right before you speak to the doctor versus I'm watching a rerun of Friends and I'm seeing, you know, know, a Silverado ad and I live in Manhattan like I'm getting a flatbed truck.
0: Right. Or the Wheatfield Humera commercials, but no one's in a Wheatfield needing Humera.
1: It's unlikely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's unlikely. I'll end with my one of my favorite ads. I I think we did a whole show just making fun of pharma ads once. There, I don't know what even know what it's for. It's like there's a bathtub on a hill that makes no sense, and someone's like taking a fake bath in an empty bathtub on a hill, and this is how they cleanse themselves of their moderate, severe something something. Please stop. (laughs) All right, last question. Um, Shakespeare did say kill all the lawyers and regulatory killed the radio star. Do you have any one last nugget to share with our listeners about uh, something that does work?
1: Advertising-wise or just...
0: Like, what would your sister need to hear and see that she didn't, that you know might be there now?
1: I think information other than the... ISI, which is really a federal regulation.
0: Important safety information.
1: Right. Not the important safety information that tells you all the other things you're going to get from the drugs you're on, but more about your specific condition and how this drug will make your life better for however long. You know, obviously it depends what stage you're in. And like I said earlier, you know, gratefully my cousins and sister are all doing fine and I'm just eternally grateful. The messaging has to be I, I think personalization is really where it's at, or some form of CRM, which is really customer relationship management, but getting people in so you can send them personalized message at each stage, even if you have pre-baked emails or whatever the case may be, that you know this person just had surgery, or you know this person is three months out, or you know this person is about to have a scan and you know, whatever the case may be, right. helping them in that way versus just throwing spaghetti against the wall and hoping that, you know, if I see X brand on a commercial 17 times a day that when I go to the doctor, I'm somehow going to remember that and connect it to whatever I think I have other than, you know, a checkup yearly.
0: Fritos, Doritos, Cheetos, Munchos, and Cheese Doodles. And Binghamton.
1: Cool Ranch Doritos, number one.
0: Amy Gittleman. (laughs) I'm so happy you're here. This is a great throwback episode. You touched all the nerves. The nostalgia nerve, the Binghamton nostalgia nerve, and my loathing of bad pharma marketing. Thank, <laughs> Thank you for coming on in.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Out of patience with Matthew Zachary is an script Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. It's mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66, that's 855-AUDIO-66, to share your healthcare shitness with us, and we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit Offscript.com. That's Offscript, no T, dot com.
1: Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader.